Welcome back to the Crash Course Podcast. My name is Craig Crash Collins, joined as always by Brandon Scott, otherwise known as B. Scott. We've got a lot to talk about on today's podcast, namely uh, college football. Uh, the state of Indiana has taken the college football world by storm. I know B. Scott probably wouldn't like the background that we have in the podcast right now because it's uh, IU. Uh, after the Oh, well, oh, oh yeah. Your background. I was like, your background's just a football field. Yeah, my background just says Big Ten, but if you go to the Facebook page right now, you'll see uh, I've got the uh, IE Hoosiers after their big win over Michigan on the uh, screen behind us. Um, so, yeah, it's, the state of Indiana is, is doing well in college football. Um, we've got, um, you know, some things that we're not going to talk about this week, but some other things of note. We've got a state for the NBA season rankings for college basketball. It's it's sports are getting uh you know back into kind of a normal type of schedule and it's exciting to see. Thank goodness. I love that the college basketball uh, rankings came out because that, that that just shows you that we are getting back to some normalcy. Yeah, it, it it feels like a lot of stuff has come full circle because obviously it was the end of college basketball season when all this sort of began during you know right before the NCAA tournament. And so now that it is, you know, time for college basketball again, it's kind of interesting to kind of look back where we're then look back to look up till now. Obviously, a lot has changed. Um, it's been this 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 year has been the longest five years of my life, uh, I feel like. But uh, it's been really crazy. Well, hey, it's kind of like this. Uh, God said to his intern, hey, did you make sure to get all of the uh, events for the 2020s all set up? And the intern said, wait, you wanted all those historical events to go over a course of 10 years and not just 2020? And God said, <laughs> yeah, of course. Why? What did you do? Intern, oh, nothing. Yeah, yeah. no, don't, don't even worry about it. <laughs> oh, man. Well, one uh, crazy thing about this year uh, has been the college football, as we mentioned, the state of Indiana, basketball state taking the college football world uh, by storm. Um, and they're playing a big role uh, on the uh, landscape. Let's first start, let's jump right in here with Notre Dame, who is now number two in the country. They knock off Clemson. The Irish had a 23 to 13 lead at halftime. Uh, Davis Allen had a touchdown catch, which tied the game at 23 for the Tigers heading into the fourth quarter. Um, we went to overtime tied at 33 at Kyron Williams. Uh, touchdown his third of the game gave the Irish a 47 to 40 lead in the second overtime and then Clemson turned it over on downs to clinch the game for the Irish um, Ian Book had 310 passing yards uh, for Notre Dame uh, with a touchdown and then uh, Williams uh, 140 yards and three touchdowns the offense was rolling for the Irish uh, DJ Wigalule uh, for the uh, Clemson Tigers obviously was playing in relief of Trevor Lawrence, who was out due to COVID protocols. He threw for 439 yards, two touchdowns through the air, one on the ground. Um, and so it was really a wild game, um, you know, to, to sit back and watch. You kind of expected it to be closer, especially after Clemson went out against Boston College and trailed for a lot of that game and had to rally to come back. Um, obviously, um, you know, I don't know if you really want to put an asterisk next to this win for Notre Dame because of the fact that they didn't have that Clemson didn't have, but 
an asterisk. You can't put an asterisk just on next to one game. Well, right. But also just the fact that, you know, my main reaction is that, hey, it's the same reaction that you have a lot of times in the Peyton-Tom uh, Brady debate, which is, hey, Peyton couldn't play defense. Hey, Trevor uh, doesn't play defense. And Trevor – You're right. You're right. Trevor Lawrence does not play defense. But the one thing you did not put in that rundown there is – it wasn't just Trevor Lawrence that was out with, with on COVID protocols. It was also, there were several key defensive players for Clemson that were out as well. And uh, that, that really was probably the bigger factor in it. I don't think missing Trevor Lawrence ended up being the big factor for this, but missing some of those key defensive pieces out with the same issues. I don't know if they've had COVID or if they were part of the contact tracing protocol or what it may be. I don't know who they were, but, you know, watching the broadcast, Tony Dungy did mention, he said, hey, look, it's not just Trevor Lawrence that's out. There are a few key defensive pieces that are out too to COVID protocol. So I think that was the bigger factor in this. I don't, I mean, I'm not going to take anything away from Notre Dame. Notre Dame did a heck of a job. I mean, first and foremost, they shut down a Heisman Trophy candidate in Travis Etienne. I mean, he was tearing the entire country up earlier, and then he, he looked normal to me in this game. Notre Dame did a very good job shutting him down. Yeah, I think, but I think, I guess what I'm getting at with the Trevor Lawrence thing is that I think if, I think having Trevor Lawrence, even with those defensive players out, would have been the difference in the game. Um, oh, yeah. But, but at the same time, I, you know, it's, you know, Trevor Lawrence. Um, obviously would have helped out. And it's, and it's a different game if Lawrence plays just in general because of the fact that obviously, you know, the offense is, has a little bit more swagger behind it, a little bit more, uh, you know, firepower behind it. And so maybe, you know, Notre Dame doesn't get out to a 10-point lead early and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's crazy how the game played out. But it, it was just – I mean, Clemson, I mean, not to say that, you know, they're key def- – I mean, obviously they're key defensive players for a reason, but I feel like, you know, obviously the most – important position on the field as quarterback but the fact that um that you know hey you know what this Notre Dame offense who we didn't think I mean we didn't think going into the season that Notre Dame was going to have a chance against Clemson you know I I know when we did our preview I said that hey you know what if Clemson if Clemson had gone to Notre Dame and Notre Dame had a packed house, which it was more full than I thought it was going to be. Yeah I was really they they did a very good job of spreading those fans out to make them well there was more than there really was until the very end when the whole entire stadium rushed the field. It looked like the, they opened the gates and let the entire campus in. I'm like, hold up, wait a second. That looks like a packed house storming the field. Not, not a pared down crowd. I mean, it must've been everybody in the stadium stormed the field, including the grandparents. Right. And so I definitely, uh, you know, this was a, a game where I thought that Notre Dame had a chance to kind of hang in there, but I thought ultimately, Hey, Clemson's going to prevail. And I think that, you know, Hey, you know what you could, you could, I think the, I think the bigger asterisk when you look at this game, if you were going to put one on there, which we're not would be, Hey, Notre Dame beat Clemson without Trevor Lawrence. But that's kind of my point there. Trevor Lawrence doesn't play defense, even though they're missing some key defensive players as well. I think the bigger headline is Trevor Lawrence was out. And I mean, Notre Dame now in a pretty good position. They finished th- with uh, three of four games on the road, and but they don't have any more games against ranked opponents, so they control their destiny in the ACC title game. If they can, if they can find a way to win out um, and win these last four games, I mean, they will play Clemson. And, and what's crazy, and we'll get to it more later on in hot or cold, but I mean. They might now control their destiny uh, to the college football playoff, even as long as they don't lose 
before losing to possibly Clemson in the ACC title game. Yeah, hold on. I'm taking a look here to see what their upcoming schedule looks like. It's uh, they play. They're at Boston College next week. Then the following weeks are at North Carolina, and so then if there is a game on this schedule that could potentially trip them up, look for it to be that game at North Carolina. North Carolina at one point this season was a top ten team. They only have two losses on the season. Now, one of them, yes, was to Florida State. But and Virginia. They just and Virginia, Virginia, yeah. But um, that, that could be an interesting game because I do believe North Carolina's two losses did come on the road. Hold on, I'm pulling it up. Yes, their two losses came on the road. They have been a very good team at home. Um, so... I mean, that could be one to really look at for Notre Dame, especially if Notre Dame ends up having a game like they did against, oh, I don't know, Louisville. I mean, 12 to 7. That was just a few weeks ago. Or uh, let's see, Duke. I mean, they only beat Duke by two touchdowns, and Duke is what, two and five on also the year? basketball school. <laughs> Oh, hey, Duke was a bowl team last year. They were a seven-win team last year. So, I mean, don't sleep on Duke typically. But, you know, Notre Dame does have the tendency, it seems like, to play to their opponent's level. Or sometimes they just kind of, I don't know, sleep on an opponent. I I, I don't really want to say that because that's not it. But – I have a feeling, you know, they had all season long, they had this game against Clemson circled on their calendar. They knew this game was a make or break game for their season. First and foremost, it was also a revenge game because the last time Notre Dame made it into the college football playoff, they got absolutely trounced trounced by Clemson. And I believe Trevor Lawrence was the quarterback at the time. I believe. I may not be 100% yeah. right on that. It may it have been. Um, it was only like two years ago. So, yeah, it was yeah. Trevor Lawrence. Okay, so Trevor Lawrence. So, it was a bit of a revenge game there as well. Um, so, yeah, that's why I'm looking at that Notre Dame-UNC game really hard and thinking if there is a game on their remaining schedule outside of the ACC, outside of the ACC championship, it could be that North Carolina game. Now, that's not that game's not going to play spoiler whatsoever in getting in not in stopping Notre Dame versus Clemson again. To be honest, that's that's not going to happen. Um, yeah, North Carolina doesn't even play Clemson, so that's that's good. Uh, so yeah, I, I guarantee we're going to see Notre Dame and Clemson again here in a few weeks in the middle of uh, December for the ACC championship, and I have a feeling it's going to be a, a different outcome at that point in time as long as you know no COVID situations. I could see us having a COVID outbreak at Notre Dame here in about a week. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, it it was a great game. Um, I think it was, it was a perfect game, to be honest. It was exactly what college football needed this year. It needed a top flight matchup under the lights during a tough time, whether it be COVID or a presidential election, whatever it may be. This was the perfect distraction for everybody. And whether you are a Notre Dame fan or not, whether you're a Clemson fan or not, is if you're just a fan of good football, this was the game for you, regardless. It really was. It was a very fun game to watch. And Notre Dame gets the big win 
um, over Clemson. So we'll see what happens. Clemson now drops to number four, uh, and Notre Dame is number two. So it does, but it doesn't stop there, uh, though. For uh, the reversible jacket fans are so confused right now. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> Reversed jacket fans are so confused. I mean, their jackets are getting good workouts, and it's not even basketball season yet. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not going to have to take that thing to the tailor and get that the inseams fixed because they're just burning right through that jacket. Flipping they don't it back know. They don't know what's happening right now. It's DEFCON 5. Uh, IU knocks off Michigan for the first time since 1987. Um, now, uh, the Hoosiers are now ranked at number 10 and it's football. It's not even bad. We talked about the, uh, college sport, basketball rank. Oh yeah. I, I'm with you. I mean, it's, it's, it's my reaction on, not just on the game, but on, on the rank, ranking. Yeah. Course. Um, but, uh, the Hoosiers, uh, dominated from the beginning. They led 24 to seven at halftime, 31 to 14 after the third, Michael Penix jr. Had a career day, 342 yards and three touchdowns. Stevie Scott the third had 97 yards and two touchdowns, and Ty uh, Freifogel had seven catches for 142 yards and a touchdown. The Indiana Hoosiers uh, have now uh, put themselves in a great position for you know a fantastic opportunity against the Ohio State Buckeyes. I, I know I'm stopping short of saying what I'm eventually going to say later on in the podcast about that matchup, but. But I mean, I wanted, when I got this rundown, I wanted to come through the computer and slap <laughs> you. So, well, okay. So here's my here's my thoughts on it. Uh, for one, I think the Hoosiers may be for real. I I mean, now as far now, it depends on what your definition of for real means. Do we mean for real? You know, as far as the national, you know, title, per, you know, prospectus is concerned, probably not. But well, they may be for real no. for they may be for real for the Big Ten. Uh, because they're averaging 37 points per game, which is third in the Big Ten. Uh, I mean, technically, technically, their defense should be third. They're fourth because Wisconsin's only played one game, <laughs> um, so there's no like you know sort on that kind of thing. There's no like minimum um, for that. Uh, they are in the four. They are fourth in the Big Ten uh, in points and yards allowed per game, uh, and their uh, one Big Ten test left in two weeks uh, is against Ohio State. And honestly. There's, I think there's do, another one on that schedule. Well, they do play Wisconsin. Well, no, but, not even Wisconsin. I'm not even talking about Wisconsin. Well, I, I mean, naturally, you're going to say the Purdue game, but no, I mean, no, I'm wait, not even. So, who's even in there? I'm saying Maryland. Have you seen that team ever since they put uh, Tagovailoa as their as they put him into starting quarterback? No, I I honestly haven't. Totally but... different team than what came out week one and got trounced by Northwestern. Maryland is actually a very decent team. I mean, they, this is a team that has, since they've done that, they have thumped Minnesota. They have thumped Penn State. Well, to be fair, Minnesota also got thumped by a Michigan team that is bad. They also got, uh, they or you know, they also, you know, Penn State is bad. They lost to this IU team um as far as by, that's concerned. Uh, controversial. Right. But I'm just saying that, like, so saying that they beat all your argument on on this Indiana team too, then. Well, no, I just think I mean yes. So here, what, what, here's, I'm saying, what I'm getting at is Maryland is not a bad football team like we all thought they were going to be this right. year. They are. I mean, they started off that way, but then they made the switch at quarterback, and it has been. A, it really has been a night and day difference. And when you look at how the Big Ten East is playing out right now, Maryland is playing like the third best team in that division 
So that's why I'm saying Indiana still has, has that's a, that's going to be a challenge for Indiana because I mean, they're playing, Maryland's playing a lot better. Now it ultimately will Indiana prevail possibly, but like all I'm saying is that Maryland is a lot better than people are giving them credit for. Yeah. And so what I'm, what I'm saying is, is that here in a couple of weeks, um, the uh, you know the Hoosiers are going to go to Ohio State. There's going to be no fans there, so it's not going to be the same ruckus environment that they're used to. I mean, you know, who knows what Wisconsin's situation is? Maybe they'll be back on track. Maybe they won't be. They are, they are scheduled to play at Michigan this weekend, and they say the game is on. Right. So we'll see what happens there. But I mean, if you really want to look at it, I I just got really one more big test. I know you disagree. You think the Maryland game? You think you think they basically have a gone for the rest of the season? I think. Oh, there's no. a chance. oh gosh, no, 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 no. If they no. if they get, I mean, they only have to get up for one big game now. They before the you know they they would have to play Penn State, who's you know a, a buzzsaw. They'd have to play Michigan, that's a buzzsaw. They'd have to play. You know, Ohio State with the buzzsaw. Now they really got one of that that three-headed monster to go, and they've won the first two. Is, is what I'm basically getting at. Oh, yeah. And I think that, and I think that they are now in a position to possibly, you know, it, you know, get up for that one game, kind of like what Purdue did a few years ago against Ohio State. Yeah, but that 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 game for Purdue against Ohio State that was more than a game. One. The raucous environment to the Tyler Trent story and everything that was more than a game. So Purdue didn't. I mean, that's why Purdue got up for that one. I think if you played that game ten times, Purdue loses that game that year nine times. All I'm saying is, I think IU can get up uh, for one more big game against one of the teams that always seems to have their well, always has their number. Not seems they always have their number, and so, in, in a year where. Ohio State doesn't have any fans in the stands. I mean, college sports is the only sport, only like only you know area of sports where there actually is a home field advantage. Yes, there are select pro environments that have home you know field or home court advantage. You know, Oklahoma, you know, Pittsburgh, uh, Seattle in football, uh, Oklahoma City in basketball, uh, especially at the beginning when they had like Durant, Harden, and, and Westbrook. Um, but Toronto. Yeah, Toronto. So, but it's not everything. I don't even know if there's really a place in baseball that you can say like, "Oh, I don't want to go Fenway. play there." Fenway, yeah, I, that's a good argument. Uh, maybe, maybe Yankee Stadium. But the 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 point is, is that in college sports, there is always a you know going on the road is a bigger test. Having a home field advantage is a bigger thing, and I think that the fact that they won't really have that, uh, IU won't. Um, or excuse me, Ohio State won't. That may level the playing field a little bit and allow IU, who already is riding high, they're number 10. Now, granted, you want to talk about the rankings. I agree with you that it's too high, but at the same time, I also think it's, 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 it's the politics and the, and the marketing that college football does every year where they're like, it's the same reason why UConn, when they played Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl, got just thrown a you know 22nd ranking in the country just so they could say, hey, it's a ranked versus ranked matchup. They could say, hey, you know what? We're going to rank IU at number 10, even though we may not believe it, because it won't matter here in a couple of weeks if they lose to Ohio State. In a couple of weeks, the way things are going for other top 10 teams, this could very well be a 
top five matchup, but really only one of the teams being a top five team. The one thing I, I understand your argument about the home field advantage and not having that this year, you do slightly have it because you're not having to go on the road. You're sleeping in your bed. You're in your comfort zone. You still have that. You know, you just don't have the crowd environment behind you, which is a big deal, especially in the big 10. Um, so I, I understand your argument there, but the one thing you're not taking into consideration is that this Ohio state team is playing at a totally different level than anybody else in the big 10 or possibly right now, even in the country, this is a team that's on a mission. I, literally they are on a mission. This, I mean, Justin Fields has been quoted as saying he is like basically the COVID police for his team and making sure none of his teammates are going out to parties, making sure none of them are putting themselves in situations where they may contract COVID or be in contact with somebody that may contract COVID and have to sit out for contact tracing. This team saw how close they were to making the national championship game last year and how they came up short and what mistakes they made. And they have gone this season, this off season, and they are fit, trying to fix those problems. So that way they can reach their ultimate goal of making the national championship game and winning a national title. And it is actually showing on the football field. I mean, this Indiana team, they finally had a good, a truly good offensive game against Michigan. What we are seeing though, is Michigan's defense is horrible. And that's not to take anything away from IU because IU is playing very well. IU is playing much better this year than they have ever played before. They have a very talented team. I do believe that they are a, a top two, top three team, not just in the Big Ten East, but possibly in the Big Ten. But, but as you stated earlier, Penn State is horrible. Rutgers is Rutgers. Michigan is turning out to be horrible. I mean, look at, okay, so yeah, Michigan thumped Minnesota. Well, like you said, Minnesota is not too good this year either. Their one win is to Illinois. And then Michigan turned around and got beat soundly at home by rival Michigan State, who turned around and got beat soundly on the road by unbeaten or winless Iowa. So, I mean, yeah, it is a topsy-turvy kind of season, yes. But IU has not faced the type of talent that we all thought they were going to face through these first three games with Penn State and Michigan. Not to take anything away from IU because, you know what, you play the games that are in front of you, you play that team that's in front of you, no matter how good or how bad you, they are, you have to take care of business, and they've taken care of business. Whether or not we want to believe that they really truly took care of business against Penn State, that's what's done is done. That's a W for them. Good. Move on. But they have not faced the kind of talent that they will face against in Ohio State. Like I said, Ohio State is just playing at a totally different level this year than anybody else, not just in the Big Ten, but I feel like right now in the entire country, After especially after what we saw from Notre Dame and Clemson and I know Alabama's playing very well, but that's expected from Alabama, but you know, they lost Jalen Waddle for the season with due to an injury. That's a big piece there. So this Ohio state team, like I said, they're on a mission and I don't think anybody's going to get in their way. Honestly, I feel like it's everybody else in the big 10 is trying to play for runner up in their division or, or you know, runner up in the, in the East 
and second place in the Big Ten if you're from the West. Because truth be told, this, this Ohio State team is a different animal. And I don't care how highly ranked IU will be come that Ohio State game. First off, about this ranking, I'm sorry. Yes, they beat number eight Penn State. But as we all have seen, Penn State, it was nowhere near being deserving of that number eight ranking. It's, Penn State is very much like the one of those teams that consistently gets ranked high just because of their name. For some reason, we have that a lot of that in college football, more, more so in college football, I believe, than in basketball. But that win alone got IU like pretty much catapulted up much higher than they probably should have been. Like I said, I don't want to take anything away from IU because they are a good football team. They are playing good football. They are one of the better teams in the Big Ten. Are they a top 10 team? When you look at the rest of the top 25, no, IU is not a top 10 team. I think anybody can anybody that has watched any amount of football can agree with that. I mean, it's just the way the rankings have fallen this year has really worked out in IU's favor. And that's just, that is what it is. But I don't think they're a top 10 team. And unfortunately, when you look at what IU has prior to playing um, Ohio State, it is very, very well could be IU is right around the top five, potentially with what, you know, what other teams in the top five have left in those next few weeks. And we could be looking at a top five matchup that ends up being on paper, absolutely lopsided and propels Ohio State to number one in the country, just because it's number one, just completely destroyed the fifth ranked team in the, or Ohio state just destroyed the fifth ranked team in the country. Um, You know, but like I said, I don't want to take anything away from IU. You know, I, I know I'm a Purdue fan and I can respect when a team is playing very, very well and they are playing very, very well. I just don't think they're deserving of being in the top 10 very right. well. And I think, I think, like I said, I think it's a, a, a manifest of it. Be, for one, I think it's the wow factor of nobody expected IU to be this good. And so the fact they beat a number eight team, we didn't know how bad Penn State was going to end up being. So when they beat a number eight team, they were, I, when I did the, you know, when I looked into where this IU team was before the season, they were middling around like the 40s um, as far as where they were ranked. So I know that still doesn't justify basically because like their, their, their ascent is basically as if they were ranked 25th and then were beat one team that was highly ranked and then went up to like second. Um, So, you know, the rise to ascent was a little much, but I think it's also the wow factor of like, Oh, this Notre Dame team or sorry, this IU team was able to, um, you know, do something that we didn't expect. So they get up there. It's the shortened season aspect of it as well. Like, because how do you, how do you quantify one big win? Like if you got, if there was two big wins back to back or, or a, you know, medium sized win and then a big win, then you could justify, you know, putting them up at 17. But I think it's, you know, that factor too, where, Hey, if somebody surprises us and has a big win over a, or a highly ranked team, where does that put them? Especially as- a, a, a win on a controversial right ending uh, um so then um and then you know beating michigan again it's still kind of that wow factor of them um you know getting that win and like i said i think a lot of it too is the fact that you know obviously especially this season you, we can't you know we can't shy away from the fact that i'm sure 
they're like, hey, you know what? If we make IU number 10, we could potentially have a top 10 matchup when they play Ohio State, and that will get a lot of ratings, and we can advertise that, and we can, you know, pump that up a lot, you know, throughout the course of the week. So I'm sure that also plays a factor because really, honestly, the only rankings that matter at the end of the day are the college football playoff rankings. And, you know, it's, and by that point in time, we will know if IU is for real or not. I'm only making the case as far as saying they're for real in the sense that like, I think that now in the position that they're in, not, you know, because we, we see it every weekend in the NFL where there's not a true home field advantage. I mean, there is, but there isn't, you know what I mean? It's a different, different atmosphere at the pro level than at the college level. Home field advantage means more at the college level, not having that evens the playing field a little bit for IU. And if IU has to get up for one game, one game that they think could potentially define their season against Ohio State, I mean, no matter how good Ohio State is, I mean, anybody can beat you know, anybody, especially if, especially if IU gets off to a good start and thinks that, Hey, you know what has that little bit of confidence that, Hey, we beat Penn state. Hey, we beat Michigan, no matter how good or bad they are though. That's the kind of the three headed monster of the big 10 that seems to always, you know, have, you know, have IU's number, you know, they get up for that one game and, and they manage to win it. I mean, they're sitting pretty and, you know, oh, they yeah. could potentially be in a good position to make the college football playoff even. Oh, so gosh. Let's not go there. <laughs> Let's not go there. First round matchup, Indiana and Alabama. So, but okay, here you, fans, you got what you wanted. You've been <laughs> saying we want Bama. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too. I think, you know, I, I, I was going to get into a little bit later, but again, I think this is the hill I'm going to die on this year. This year should have been the year we had eight teams in the college football playoff because a year like this, is making the case as to why you need more teams uh, available because yeah, I mean, when you're literally sitting there, cause I mean, honestly, at this point, we're just sitting here. Like we know who the three teams are really that have a shot, a, a realistic shot, uh, you know, as we, as it stands right now of winning the national championship, it's Alabama, it's Clemson, it's Ohio state. Maybe there's another team that can surprise us, but right now there's, Nobody from the big, you know, the highest ranked big 12 team is 14th. The highest ranked Pac-12 team is 10th. So there's no way, there's a very slim chance that either of those conferences get in. So right now, just, you know, there's no way that the SEC East winner is going, you know, or the SEC East winner is going to be, you know, picked to go to be the four seed or really realistically the three seed um, because of the fact that they're going to, they're going to lose, they're going to lose to Alabama. I don't know about that. I don't know. You know, you think you want Florida over Bama? I do. I mean, Florida in that game against Georgia, I know Georgia doesn't really have a quarterback, but wow. Yeah, I I definitely didn't expect it to be. All I can say is that if the Colts want to pick a court, I know we're going, I'm going off topic here a little bit, but if the Colts want to pick a quarterback in the first round of the draft and Kyle Trask is sitting there, I am all for selecting Kyle Trask. That guy can really? read the field and can sling it around. Whoa. That's all I have to say about that. I mean, you never know. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, as a, you know, in that scenario, though, if like, let's say, because I mean, obviously, if Florida beats Alabama in the SEC championship game, then yes, it's going to be Florida and Georgia. Or it's going to be Florida and Alabama and then Ohio State and Clemson, realistically, or, you know, Ohio State, Notre Dame, you know, take those teams, you know, as you will. But I mean, I guess what I'm saying is as it stands right now, if we're picking the four seed, we're literally discussing, you know, who do we throw up against Alabama to get, 
you know, beat up by 50 points. And that, and, and at the end of the day, that's why we need more teams in the college football playoff. Because I mean, yes, that we would still be talking about that, but for the eighth seed, you know, and then it would just get tougher from there, be on neutral sites, et cetera, but whatever, um, you know, just, you know, but that's, but that's um, what I think it, you know, it could, it, what would be the benefit of that? Um, now we did have a game canceled uh, this weekend, a game we were really excited for a game. We pumped up a little bit. That was the Wisconsin Purdue matchup. That game was canceled. The Boilermakers do face number 23 Northwestern uh, this week at home. The Wildcats are undefeated. So that's going to be a pretty interesting matchup. B Scott. Yeah, you know, um, I love it. It's going to be under the lights. It is the Big Ten Network primetime game, uh, 7.30 kickoff. There are rumors that Rondell Moore is set to make his season debut. He was actually potentially set to make his debut against Wisconsin because that game got canceled. Um, He's pushed it back to this week. So that could cause some nightmares for Northwestern, especially if you have to, you know, you're going in game planning for just having to guard David Bell and Milton Wright. And then all of a sudden now you're throwing in the fact that uh, Rondell Moore is back. Um, But the biggest key to watch in this game this weekend is whether um, Purdue defensive end George Karloftis is healthy enough to go. Uh, He left the game against Illinois with an injury. Um, Jeff Brom does not share very much injury info unless it's like selling us like today that Cam offensive lineman Cam Craig is out for the season. Otherwise, he just says we're working hard and rehabbing them and trying to get them healthy and we'll see if they're, they're good to go. He's, 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 he's like the bill Belichick of, uh, of injury reports and in, in Northwestern. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, this game, this is very similar to the game we saw two years ago on opening night. It really played a role in deciding who was going to represent the big 10 West ultimately in uh, Indianapolis. Um, ultimately Northwestern ended up, winning the big 10 West that season. Um, But, you know, both teams are sitting at undefeated and for Purdue, not having that Wisconsin game kind of puts them at, at an advantage, but also at a disadvantage because they are, they are going to have one less game on their schedule, but you beat Northwestern Northwestern still has games against Wisconsin. They still have game. They still have some big games left on their schedule. So there is a true opportunity here for Purdue to really put themselves to really position themselves to be able to represent the big 10 West in the big 10 championship game. If not, you know, second or third place in the big 10 West is still up for grabs at that point as well. I mean, when you look at Purdue's remaining schedule, you have Rutgers, Minnesota, Nebraska, and IU. I don't think it's any, I didn't say that in any particular order, but um, all they're very winnable games, except for maybe the IU game. Purdue should be favored in all of those, but against IU. Um, that is down in Bloomington as well. But, you know, I think if you would have told me at this point in the season that Purdue had a had a game this game would basically almost determine who's going to represent that Purdue could represent the Big Ten West I may have laughed at you I would have loved to have heard that but I would at the same time been like let's be realistic I mean who would have thought that the Wisconsin game was going to get canceled I love the fact though 
that Wisconsin is now saying, oh, we're, we're all good to go. We can play Michigan because our number one quarterback is out of COVID protocol and, you know, he's allowed to play. And, oh, man, that Michigan team looks really bad. So, yeah, let's go, let's go take it to them in the big house. Whereas, oh, that Purdue game would have been a tough one with our fourth string quarterback having to play. So that, that's kind of interesting. But, you know, I'm really excited for this game. I think this is, you know, that, that, that game a couple of years ago against Ohio State and Purdue, that was a big game, but for other reasons. This is probably the first true game that Purdue has had at Ross-Aid. I want to say since Wisconsin versus Purdue in 2004, of actual meaning, mm-hmm. you know, where the outcome of this game is truly going to define, potentially define the rest of your season and, and where you ultimately end up. Um, I mean, win this game and you actually have a full game lead on the rest of the Big Ten West, I mean, mostly Northwestern, going into the final stretch of your season. And I, th- I think that puts Purdue in a really strong position. So this is a, this is probably one of the biggest games in the last decade for Purdue. Well, before we get into hot and cold, let's go ahead and get this word from anchor. So let's go ahead and hop into hot or cold. Uh, we've got three questions here. Um, first question is uh, going to be uh, beating Clemson. Uh, makes Notre Dame a college football contender. Um, I think that's a hot take. Um, I, the Irish won't face another ranked opponent until the ACC championship game, likely against Clemson. Um, so what that does is it puts them basically in the driver's seat. If they go to the ACC championship game uh, as a undefeated ACC team, um, the, and then even if they lose to Clemson in the ACC title game, their one loss will be to a team that was likely, uh, well, well, not only was the ACC championship, ACC champion, but also a team that was ranked in the top five, they, Notre Dame will likely still obviously be ranked at number two, probably will slip to number three at that point. Um, you know, as, as the, as Ohio state kind of rises through the ranks, um, if they do indeed do so. Um, so Notre Dame will have a chance to say, Hey, we beat the team that we lost to in the ACC championship game. Um, and so, you know, if they're, if we're looking for a fourth team to potentially get in, uh, I think, uh, Notre Dame's now in a pretty good spot to do just that. Um, I know that obviously, you know, North Carolina is going to be a big game. Boston college is going to be a big game. Um, then they have Wake Forest and Virginia Tech, I think, or either uh, Wake Forest and Virginia Tech, something like that. I think the rest of the games are from the Irish. Um, but the Irish are in a good position to potentially run the table the rest of the season. Um, and again, like we you talked about before, um, the highest ranked Pac-12 team is Oregon at number 10. The Big 12 has number 14, Oklahoma State. So it's likely just going to be three conferences, the ACC, SEC, and Big Ten. And again, I think it's going to be a situation where, I mean, if you're looking for that fourth team to get in besides, you know, obviously AC champions in, SEC champions in, Big Ten championship, Big Ten champion, as long as it's Ohio State, <laughs> they get in um, uh, the way it seems like at least. Um, so you're looking at a situation where, okay, so do you put in two ACC teams, even if the other ACC team is Notre Dame? I think – the college football playoff committee probably won't look at that, look at it that way. 
I think they'll still see Notre Dame as being Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame honestly really isn't playing that much of a difference in what their schedule would have normally been. It's just a matter of, you know, they would have played a few less ACC games. And I don't know if the Clemson was on the schedule for this year or not, but um, um, Notre Dame is now in a very good position to possibly go ahead and make uh, the college football playoff if they go ahead and run the table the rest of the year because they will have beaten the only team they lost to, which is obviously one of the things that the team uh, that the committee looks for. Now, obviously, they look for it in reverse order. They want you to beat the team that you lost to for the title game to kind of erase that loss, but it's still going to be a loss to a top five team. And Notre Dame obviously ranked at number two. I don't see how you drop them uh, if, if, let's say, they're number three, even if they lose to Clemson, who's number four, or lose or Clemson, who's number five, wherever Cle- Clemson's at. I don't see how you drop them out of the top four. Um, for losing to Clemson. Yeah, I think I agree. This is a hot take. Um, Notre Dame is in a very strong position right now to make the college football playoff. Because um, even if they do lose to Clemson, I don't think you're going to leave out a one loss Notre Dame team, considering their one loss was to a team they already had beaten. And it was also a top four team as well. Uh, the only thing that could stand in the way of Notre Dame making it in if they lose to Clemson in the ACC championship game is if Florida beats Alabama in the SEC championship game, because I do not believe there's any way that a one loss Alabama team is going to be left out of the college football playoff. Um, Obviously you are going to put in the SEC champ, whether that's Alabama or Florida um, or Texas A&M at this, you know, we still don't know if it's going to be Florida or A&M. Wait, A&M plays in Alabama's division. Yeah, so yeah they're in the West. So whether it be Florida or Alabama, um, but I think that's the only potential that could stand in the way. Now, all of that, it becomes a mute point if Notre Dame takes care of business in the ACC championship game, completely eliminates Clemson from the playoff picture, and then Florida can beat Alabama and you're going to get your two SEC schools in there. Um, so I think either way, the two conferences that are set up for best success right now of getting multiple teams into the playoff are the ACC and the SEC. I real quick, I just, I just thought of this and, and obviously I think we're going to talk about it in the future because who knows how long that uh, Jim Harbaugh has at Michigan. Um, but uh, you know, we talked about the pac 12, which likely is going to be irrelevant on the stage again. What are your thoughts? I don't know how it's going to go this season. Obviously, Notre, or I didn't even know USC was ranked in the top 20 before the, the Pac-12 started play this weekend. Um, what do you think about Jim Harbaugh to USC? As far as I think that that's a possibility. Like, I think if Michigan gets rid of uh, Jim Harbaugh, I think – that USC may make some moves, go out and get Jim Harbaugh, who is already coached in the Pac-12, so has an idea of how to recruit a Pac-12 school. Yes, he's going from a program with big expectations to another school with big expectations, but they're different expectations. The Pac-12 hasn't been relevant really in four years, um, and he would have an opportunity to, yes, go to a organization in, or go to a team in USC that does have you know, a, a storied history and a big past, but also a team that is very hungry to get back to college football relevance. I had that thought yesterday. I was like, you know what? Jim Harbaugh and Michigan, even though I love the hire at the time, probably not a great marriage uh, ultimately in the end, um, you know, for the reason of they thought Jim Harbaugh was going to finally get 
you know, Michigan over the uh, hump of beating Ohio state. He hasn't done that. Um, And so um, he's likely going to be on his way out, especially if Michigan finishes like a two and five or a, you know, something along those lines. So I, I I thought about that yesterday and I, and I didn't, I honestly forgot about it until now. Yeah. I I don't know if anything, I feel like Jim Harbaugh is better suited for um, the NFL. Really? be honest i don't see him taking another college position i feel like like you know sc's gonna want a proven winner if there's gonna be anybody and they need somebody that is out there i don't know how else to put it i i honestly still believe that the two people that if clay helton ends up not being retained at USC for whatever reason. Um, ultimately, the two people to look at for that position are um, PJ Fleck out of Minnesota and uh, Luke Fickle out of Cincinnati. Honestly, Luke Fickle is going to be on a lot of people's lists, uh, big time programs, um, just because of the job he's done at Cincinnati and also the interim job that he did um, at Ohio State. So, I mean, I wouldn't even be surprised if Michigan comes knocking at his door and uh, tries to get him to replace a Harbaugh if that's the direction. I mean, I, I don't think Michigan will ultimately part ways with Harbaugh on their doing. If anything, it's going to be Harbaugh walking away from Michigan to go back to the NFL. Hmm. Interesting. I was, I was just curious about your take on that because I was trying to think of, like, well, yeah, if Harbaugh I, didn't come I, back. I tweeted that out. I tweeted out. Uh, during that Michigan IU game, I said, Hey, real question here. If Michigan ends up losing to IU, how long does it take essentially for Michigan to fire Jim Harbaugh? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely on the, on the doorstep. It seems Uh, question number two, IU will finish November uh, undefeated B Scott. You did your hardest. You did your darndest. You tried to talk some sense into me, but you know what? I'm going to say this is a hot take and here's why. The Hoosiers are playing on a different level here in 2020. The defense is strong. The offense is getting the job done. Um, They will play Michigan State um, this next week, and then they play uh, at Ohio State State, and then Maryland to round out November. They also face number 13, Wisconsin, which could be a spoiler game, which is followed by the bucket game. It's not going to be an easy walk the rest of the season. Um, But like I said, IU uh, gets the benefit of the doubt because, again, you have to get up for one game. One game is all that the coaching staff at IU has to do. They have to talk their players up for one game, um, and that's that Ohio State game. I mean, it's, it's a situation where, you know, yes, they have to go out and play and do well in all those other matchups against Maryland and Michigan State and, and, and Wisconsin, that kind of thing, but at the same time, it's a situation where they say, Hey, you know what? We now control our own destiny in the big 10 West or East. I always get confused because there's not they're Oh, they're in the East. Yeah. They're in the East. Okay. So they control their destiny in the big 10 East. And so I think that, you know, if they have to get up for that one game against Ohio state in a situation, that's going to be bizarre. There's no, they're going to be at, I they're going to be at Ohio state with no fans, which would normally be, I mean, if Ohio state had fans in the stands, there would be no question Ohio state rolls. but I think Indiana for that one game can get up and get it done. So I think IU will be 
you know, in a good position for possibly a run of the Big Ten title come the end of November? This is a cold take. This is a cold take. Yes, IU is playing at a different level than IU has ever played at. What's funny is that earlier you said, I I don't think IU can be playing at, is playing at a national championship level, but they sure are playing at a Big Ten championship level. Have you not noticed who's sitting atop the Big Ten mountain right now? A team playing at a national championship level. So if you're going to knock off that team, you got to play at a national championship level. Right, but like I did said they earlier, do it for one game? In the, in the, Ohio State's on a mission. They are on a legitimate – You can say that all you want, but that doesn't mean that for one game, what? IU can't get up and win that game. You know, in years past, I may have agreed with that idea, but – because, yeah, okay, yeah, Ohio State may overlook IU. Okay, but have you seen the ranking in front of IU? That right there alone is not going to make Ohio State look past them this year. It's not some unranked 3-3 three and three or 4-4 four and four IU team. It's an undefeated top 10 team. That is – that's like exclamation points all around it. Don't overlook, don't overlook, don't overlook. But Ohio they State won't. They know that this is going to be regardless, a big time game for Ohio state now. So they're not going to overlook that. I'm sorry, plain and simple. Ohio state's playing at a different level than anybody else in the country. Justin Fields has started to pull away. In my opinion, especially after how Travis Etienne performed this past weekend, Justin Fields has started to pull away from the rest of the field and the Heisman voting. He alone is playing at a totally different level. That defensive line, they don't have the Chase Young or the Nick Bosa this year, but that defensive line is scary good. It is anchored by a guy, I can't pronounce his name, Garrett something, and he got shot in the face during the offseason. And he plays defensive line. He's a defensive tackle, and he is just causing nightmares for opposing offensive lines. I mean – Talk about BAMF. I mean, seriously, this dude got shot in the face in the offseason, and he's playing now. (laughs) And good luck, IU. Yes, you've played – no, you've played at teams that really – okay, Penn State probably had the best wide receiver you faced all season long. Okay, one wide receiver. How are you going to stop Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and so on? I mean – Ohio State is the has the best wide receiver room in all in all of college football, and then their running backs, Master Teague and Trey Sermon, the transfer okay. from Oklahoma. So, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but you're saying Ohio State's on a mission. They beat Nebraska Week One, fifty-two to seventeen. Obviously, big win. They beat Penn State, the same Penn State team that IU beat by just thirteen, but they're on a different national championship level. And then they beat Rutgers, obviously blew them out as well. But I'm just saying they went, they played that Penn, same Penn State team that IU had to, you know, get a little help to get past by just 13. So it's not like they blew them out of the water if they're, if they're on a mission that cannot be. I'm still saying, I mean, Penn State got some garbage time points there at the end to, to close it in, to be honest. I mean, Penn State could not stop. Ohio State until Ohio State decided to let the foot off the gas pedal. And I mean, you can look at the score breakdown and you'll see that. But 
I just I do not believe anybody in the Big Ten can play up to Ohio State's level for a full game for a full 60 minutes. I just don't see it. I I don't see it out of anybody. And it is disappointing that some of these other teams aren't playing as well as we thought they could, like Penn State and Michigan. But I honestly, I just don't see it out of anybody. IU, Purdue, Wisconsin, it doesn't matter. I just feel like the eye test and just the stats alone are telling me Ohio State is on a different level than anybody else right now. Their quarterback is on a different level than anybody else right now. And that those wide receivers are going to be impossible to stop. It's do, do I think IU can hang with them early on and put a scare into them? Yeah, I, I do. I don't think I'm not saying that IU is going to go in there and absolutely get thumped. I'm not saying that, but I, what I am saying is that I do not have the confidence in anybody to beat Ohio state right now. So that's why I think it, I think it's a cold take because I just don't see it happening. I don't see it happening whatsoever. I mean, you're- I, honestly, I honestly think that Purdue has a higher chance of going undefeated in November than I, IU does. Mostly that's, because that's shocking, B. Scott. Well, that's because the most shocking thing ever. <laughs> look at the schedule. No, I know, I know. You don't have Ohio State <laughs> on that schedule, right? If, if, if the if the roles are reversed and Purdue was ranked in the top ten, and all they had to do to get to the Big Ten championship game was beat Ohio State, I would be saying the same exact thing here, because that's how strongly I feel about Ohio state right now. They are just playing at an absolutely different level than everybody else. And, but yet still only beat Penn state by 13 is fine, but no, uh, no, I'm joking. I'm messing with you. So about Penn state. Are you serious? <laughs> um, but no, it did not even beat Penn state. Michael Penix was out of bounds. Oh my gosh! Uh, but it, it, it will be interesting to watch uh, IU the rest of this season. Um, and I, I, I do think that at the end of the day, you will most likely be the one that's right. I just think that for what, like IU can gas themselves up for one game, especially in some different circumstances. This year has been crazy. Who like if there's gonna be a year that the that the Hoosiers can shock the world, it's gonna be 2020. Um, so the final question. Um, Purdue will knock off number 23 Northwestern this Saturday. I'm, I, I don't know. This is a flip of the coin for me. I'm going to argue, uh, the negative cause I know B Scott will argue the affirmative. Um, so I will, uh, go with it. This is a cold take. The Wildcats have won five of the last seven, uh, this decade versus Purdue. And they had one until, uh, Purdue's win last, um, last year, had won the last five against per, uh, Purdue going into that matchup last year. So Northwestern hasn't allowed a second half uh, point this season, which puts more pressure on Purdue's offense to get it going and get it going early. Um, so I think that that is a you know different animal in and of, of itself. So you have a, a Northwestern defense that is playing really well combined with a uh, you know the fact that Northwestern has had Purdue's number. Um, I do, I, you know, I do think that there uh, is a chance that Northwestern does get the win. I am going to pick Northwestern. I want Purdue to win because I really would like to see a Purdue Ohio State or Purdue IU Big Ten championship game. 
Um, but I don't know that that's going to happen. Um, so I, I think that Purdue, I want Purdue to win, but I'm, I'm going to go against uh, my heart here and say that I think that Northwestern does end up getting the win um, and continues on their path uh, to potentially getting to the Big Ten championship game. And this is a tough one, mostly because not knowing if Rondell is going to play, if George Karloftis is going to play, how is this week off going to affect Purdue? Like Jeff Brom said in his press conference today, you know, you love to get a bye week, you know, to get healthy. But at the same time, we were playing with some rhythm and we got to make sure we keep that rhythm going. Um, yeah, it's still up in the air if anybody but Xander Horvath is going to play running back. You, you know, if you want to, if you want to beat Penn, if you want to beat Northwestern, you got to be able to control the ball for one, and you can't make mistakes. You cannot make mistakes. Xander Horvath had two fumbles. One of them wasn't really a fumble. Let's be honest. His knee, his knee was down. Everybody will tell you that his knee was down. Um, wow, that sounded like a Donald Trump thing right there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but. Besides that, you know, this is, this is a tough one to predict. Um, when the Vegas line came out, it was originally Purdue was favored by two, but within 24 hours of that line coming out, it flipped. And now Northwestern's favored. I mean, obviously they're the ranked team. They, you know, they have a little bit more success here as of late. I'm just, you know, it's a tough, I think this is a toss up one. I, I'm, I'm going to say it's a hot take just because the way Purdue has been playing, it, it just, something feels different about this season for them. You just have a little bit more faith in them. It feels, I just have a little bit more faith than I normally would. Right. I mean, they started the season off well with those, those two wins that, I mean, you know, you tell, we talked about at the time they had lost to Illinois the year prior and, you know, I was not a slouch team and they've, and those are their two wins. And so I, I felt confident with the uh, Boilermakers even going into the game against Wisconsin. Now that said, you also could get, even though Purdue has lost to Northwestern in the past, Northwestern is ranked, you could have also gotten a situation where Purdue might have been like, okay, well, the worst is over. We didn't have to play in Wisconsin this year. Um, and that could have you know, provided us a, a potential uh, you know, tripping up against Northwestern anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to say it's a hot take just because Purdue did beat Northwestern last year. Um, at Northwestern for one and it, yeah, it was a last second field goal but Purdue really kind of I mean it was a, a young team that was kind of thrown into the fire last year I mean it was really Aiden O'Connell's first game and he played very very well in that game I just I, I just think the defense this year is a little bit different yeah they're ranked near the bottom of the Big Ten and yards allowed and all that but scoring wise they're up there in the top three in the big 10 um they're a bend but do not break defense and that is the signature of a bob diaco defense is bend but don't break and i i kind of feel like you know there is familiarity there with peyton ramsey obviously transferring from iu to northwestern uh the last time peyton ramsey played at rossade he was sacked five times and this is a mobile quarterback we're talking about here now this is a different offensive line um, Northwestern does have a very good has as a as a 
solid offensive line. Um, one of the better offensive linemen in the entire country. I think he opted out though. I'm not hundred percent certain. Um, so, but I don't know. I feel like things are starting to align correctly for Purdue. And this is the, this is that next step. This could be one of the, this is really a make or break game in my opinion for the Boilermakers. If they don't win this game, Purdue fans can just sit back and go, well, all right, here we go again. But this could really help. I know it's an asterisk season, but beating a ranked Northwestern team, putting yourself firmly atop the big 10 West could help Purdue get over that proverbial hump and start to turn the Jeff Brom era back in the direction that everybody believed it was headed in prior to last season. Now, uh, before we get into kind of our final topic and wrap up the podcast for this week, um, I do want to remind you guys, you can follow us at Crash Course FM on Twitter, Crash Course Podcast on YouTube. Um, and remember, you can also like us on Facebook if you're listening to us on uh, you know Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anything like that. Uh, we do go live every uh, Monday on the uh, Facebook page, so you definitely want to go over and like that. And remember, you can listen every week on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever podcasts can be heard, you can hear the Crash Course Podcast. So uh, one final topic before we wrap up tonight, um, Chase Elliott wins the 2020 NASCAR title. At, at 24 years old, he's the third youngest to win a title. He did win the fi- season finale at Phoenix, led 153 laps uh, of the scheduled 312. Brad Kozlowski, Joey Logano, uh, Denny Hamlin and Jimmy Johnson not only rounded out the top five in the race, but also it was the same order as the standings, which was pretty crazy. Um, and so, you know, it, it's it's a good, I think, change of pace. Um, I, I think at least from the standpoint of like, yes, I'd heard of Chase Elliott before, but I feel like, I don't know, I, I feel like every year it's, you know, the same guys that are in contention to win um, the title. It's, you know, Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch and Brad Kozlowski and, and all those kind of guys. And so it's nice to see a driver like Chase Elliott. I'm a, you know, I was always, even though I wasn't, you know, he wasn't my favorite driver. I was always a fan of Bill Elliott and to see him, um, you know, get that win, uh, you know, get his, have his son get that win, uh, you know, and Chase Elliott, uh, he drove the 24 car for Hendrick Motorsport, uh, Hendrick Motorsports for a while, which always has a good place in my heart being a Jeff Gordon fan. So, uh, you know, it, it was just nice to see. And I think it's a kind of a refreshing thing, um, you know, that this season where, Hey, for a, a a point in time there was the you know the eyes of of the sports world were on was on nascar because at one point they were the only sport that was back um and so i think this was kind of a good way to kind of round out that year as far as you know i think the sport got a little bit of a a, of a refreshment as far as uh the uh, sports scene is concerned so i love this i i was the one that told you about this anyways yeah I'm a huge Chase Elliott fan. I love Hendrick Motorsports first and foremost. Um, so when Elliott was tapped to replace Jeff Gordon in the 24 originally, I love the move. Um, I mean, couldn't be more excited. This is a guy that had the win last week at Martinsville to even get in the top four. Ultimately, by winning that race, bumped out the hot, the best driver of the entire season in Kevin Harvick. And um, on Sunday, he got the proverbial pole. I mean, he got the, the, the provisional poll just based off of how they're doing things this year, how they did it at, uh, post-COVID. But he failed inspection twice, had to drop to the rear of the field to start the race. So he went from first to last and raised his way back up to first and won the race to win the championship. 
that was awesome, first and foremost. Second, second thing, your talk about, you know, it's always the same old, same old. Here's an interesting stat I did not realize. You're right. It does always seem like, oh, it's Kevin Harvick. Oh, it's Joey Logano. Oh, it's Kyle Busch, blah, 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 blah. Hendrick Motorsports has won 13 out of the last 26 NASCAR championships. Yeah. I mean, you have all those years with Jimmy Johnson. Um, you know, and you, you have four with Jeff Gordon, right. one with Terry Pavani, and now Chase Elliott. So that, that was kind of an interesting, like more than uh, 50% of the last championships have gone to Hendrick Motorsports. Well, I mean, think about the drivers that have been there uh, for Hendrick Motorsports, you know, Kyle Busch, Terry Labonte. Um, you've got, um, you've got, uh, See, you, you got Kyle Busch, Terry Labonte. I, I was trying to go in order of number, like as far as the numbers go. Uh, you have Dale Jr. Uh, Mark Martin. You, yeah, Mark. Well, yeah, Brian, Mark Martin did drive the five. Ryan Vickers. Ryan Vickers. Casey Mears. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, dude, you're, you're, wipe, you're wiping the floor with me now trying to remember. I used to be really good Hendrick about fan. I'm a Hendrick fan. So. I mean, I am too. I just am not as plugged in as I, as I used to be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, case, you know, case in point. Um, well, I love and, the fact that Hendrick is bringing back the number five car next year. Mm. And Kyle Larson is going to be driving the number five. So he's going to be back in NASCAR. But here, here's something real. Here's some two more fun facts about this one today as we all know bill elliott got the nickname of awesome bill from dawsonville right from dawsonville georgia there's the pool the dawsonville pool hall down there where they celebrated the championship well today they took chase elliott's winning car down to dawsonville georgia and they drove that thing through the streets of dawsonville and had a championship parade for him thought that was pretty cool that's awesome second thing this is the eerie one. I don't know if I sent this to you or not. All right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Follow me here. The 1988 NBA champs, the Los Angeles Lakers. The 2020 NBA champs, the Los Angeles Lakers. The 1988 MLB champions, the Los Angeles Dodgers. The 2020 MLB champions, the Los Angeles Dodgers. You might be thinking, who cares? The 1988 NASCAR champion, Bill Elliott. The 2020 NASCAR champion, Chase Elliott. That's pretty crazy. That's pretty. That is crazy, right there. Um, just, that's yeah. <laughs> I thought yeah, that was pretty cool. That, yeah, that was nuts. I didn't never would have thought of that. Like I knew that. Like yeah, I was like that. Yeah, I definitely would not have put that all together. So that that's incredible. Um, so but that leads us. You know, I, if I have to, I just want one more thing here. If I have to make any changes to NASCAR, though, looking at the championship race, I don't know if I would have the last race in Phoenix. It's so far away. You know, I mean, yeah, you got you started. It started at three o'clock, three thirty. But I love it. The ending under the lights when they had it in Homestead. Yeah. You know, and there's something about winning that championship under the lights. A lot of people were saying that track was very hard to pass at and they put down some grip. I don't know what this stuff is called, but stuff higher up to create a, um, a higher lane. And that was going to go away as the race went on. So that made it even harder to pass. So, you know, I know it was still an exciting race. Don't get me wrong, especially with Chase Elliott coming from last place, the first place to win it all. But Maybe look at a, a track that is a little bit more exciting than Phoenix. And Phoenix is pretty exciting, but now could you do it in like a Vegas where you 
I don't, I is, don't is think that, so. Is that worse? There's so many tracks that are similar. Well, I think Vegas, or is that California that's changing? One of them's changing to a short track. Um, but there's so many tracks similar to Vegas, like Kansas and Chicago yeah. and Michigan. I mean, well, so I, I guess you could... to be honest, the most exciting race here recently, I mean, obviously everybody loves Talladega and whatnot, but Martinsville, that would be an awesome place to have a championship race. Yeah. In my opinion, or, you know, like a Richmond. Or yeah. A Richmond I'd be in favor. Richmond would be really good. Darlington would be awesome. Talk about historical. Yeah. So your champion named at Darlington, that would be awesome. You know, that not like, not that the race was bad or anything. I mean, the top four f- championship drivers were running in the top four pretty much all day once yeah. Chase Elliott got back up there. So it was kind of like, it, and that seems to happen every year. Like, really? Is there some kind of directive that goes out to everybody else that says, leave these four alone and you guys are all <laughs> fifth? Yes. I, seriously, it, it, it was just, it was, it's just kind of odd, but. Hey, congratulations to Chase Elliott, one of the youngest to win a championship uh, in NASCAR history. First of many, in my opinion. I think he's got a bright, bright future ahead of him. Honestly, we saw the passing of the torch yesterday at Hendrick Motorsports when Chase was celebrating his victory and Jimmy was out there getting um, applauded by the crowd as well for putting a cap on his career. They, they pulled up next to each other and, you know, had, had, some, had a few words and, um, as Jeff Burton put it in the booth, he said, I think we just saw the passing of the torch, not just at Hendrick Motorsports, but in NASCAR as well. And I, I think he's right. I think um, Chase Elliott um, has the opportunity, much like we had this debate about Joseph Newgarden. Yeah. Uh, Chase Elliott has an opportunity to really win several championships. Will he reach that seven mark like Jimmy Johnson? I don't know. That's That's tough, especially with how deep of a – field nascar has i mean like it was five or six drivers that could have won this championship to be honest um and especially with hendrick they have such young talent they're only getting better year after year with alex bowman and uh, william byron and now kyle larson coming into the fold it's going to be interesting next year is going to be very interesting and i do believe there is a new chassis in the work for 2022 i do believe so yeah that brings us into our final hot or cold uh, question, which is Chase Elliott will be the next NASCAR superstar. And quickly here, I think that's a hot take. I think you need to hit the nail on the head. I mean, he's just 24 years old. I was looking through, you know, it's, it's crazy. Cause I feel like, you know, when I, when, you know, when I was last, I mean, I guess it shows how long ago I you know, since I was really plugged into NASCAR, but I feel like, you know, when I was plugged in, you know, Dimini Hamlin, Kyle Busch and Brad Kozlowski were all the young guns. And now they're kind of, you know, reaching the, the twilight of their careers. Um, you know, and the fact that Brad Keselowski, Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch are all over 35. Now, again, like we talked about with Scott Dixon, obviously they can all race, you know, well into their 40s um, if they really want to. Um, but it, like like you said, it reminds you know, reminds you of Joseph Newgarden, which, you know, in the sense where he's held his own against the old crop, he's held his uh, own against the new crop as well. And as far as like, you know, marketability and thinking like, you know, can he be a superstar, not only just, you know, in the you know sports world, but, or in the NASCAR world, but also the sports world. I mean, you know, he is son of 16 time NASCAR, most popular driver, Bill Elliott. So, he I mean, is. he is also currently ranked as NASCAR's most popular driver. So I think if, you know, you got this young guy who kind of took on, 
you know, the big, you know, the big guns here this season. I think, you know, if, if you're looking at NASCAR kind of getting back into that national conversation, not necessarily where it was, you know, back when I became, was, you know, a, a huge fan of NASCAR, but just in, as far as, you know, getting kind of some of that popularity back, I think Chase Elliott's kind of the guy that's going to be able to do that. Oh, yeah, I agree. This is definitely a hot take. Uh, Chase Elliott not only has the ability to be the future face of NASCAR, um, but also be a very, very popular sports figure as well. I mean, he already was just because of his dad, let's be honest. Right. Um, I think he has an opportunity to be even more successful than his dad. Um, well, I mean, he's already got as many championships as him. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> true. He's already got as many. But, you know, I, yeah, I, I know when you look at um, – I think what we're going to see uh, uh, here is uh, – these three, these three names that are going to be battling it out over the next several years, um, Chase Elliott, Joey Logano, and Brad Kozlowski. I mean, Joey Logano and Brad Kozlowski are like in, they're, they're about my age in their 30s. Uh, Joey Logano is 30. So they got a long way to go, especially when you look at like how long some of these drivers are. I mean, Kevin Harvick is racing phenomenally, and he's up in his 40s. He's, he's like the Scott Dixon. Yeah. Uh, you know, not – the same championship level, but, um, as far as success into his forties, um, Kyle Busch, I think Kyle Busch is, he's one of those drivers. I think he's going to get even better with age. I think he's going to take this year and really run with it next year Mm -hmm. in the fact that, you know, he had one win this year. He did not even, you know, it was, it was a disaster of a year for him, but I've always thought that, um, Kyle Busch is a driver that drives recklessly and he's proven that he's not so much that anymore as, as he's gotten older, that has changed. He used to be one of those drivers that he just drove the thing until the wheels fell off. And a lot of times that's what happened. His equipment would just fail because he just drove it too hard. Um, And we're starting to see that start to change with him uh, as he gets older, which is a good thing. So, but I still think Brad Kozlowski, uh, Joey Logano and Chase Elliott, as of right now are the true future of NASCAR and are going to be those guys that are going to be battling for championships year in and year out. And it's going to be really exciting to watch those three uh, continue on in their careers. Well, that will do it for this week's edition of the Crash Course Podcast. Remember, you can uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Crash Course FM. Um, you can uh, like us on Facebook, Crash Course Podcast. Subscribe to us on YouTube, Crash Course Podcast. Remember, you can listen every week on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever the Crash Course Podcast can be heard. You can hear the Crash Course Podcast. And uh, B. Scott, where can they find you, bud? Uh, you can always find me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Scott 87. Um, that's really mostly where you can find me and I'm, I'm getting back into the Twitter game much, much more as you can, if you follow me, you'll notice, uh, um, highlight of my Twitter recently is, uh, my 11 month old son broke off the wings of a Connor Daly, uh, diecast car, tweeted a picture of it, tagged Connor Daly in it and he liked it. So there you go. That's we're moving up in the Twitter world. Yeah. Um, up. That's always a good feeling. Well, and we have a good feeling about next week's podcast as well. We will be back then. But until then, have a good week, everybody.